In the name of the Father, the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Well, for the last few weeks, we have been thinking together about this, the most beloved chapter in all of the scriptures, the 23rd Psalm. The, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, not that uh, God will give me everything that my heart desires, or that God will extinguish all of my wanting and desiring, but rather that God can help fix my wanter, that God can help me want more of the right things. The Lord is my shepherd, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we talked about that valley as a very um, enticing place. It is impossible to enjoy, and yet it is so hard to leave. And yet we also talked about it as a place that we walk not around, not just into, but that we walk through. The valley of the shadow is a temporary lodging. It is not a permanent home. And the key to that is those four precious words, thou art with me. And then last week, of course, the Lord is my shepherd. My cup overflows. This wonderful symbol of gratitude. Um, this whole idea, this conviction really that life is a gift is really the beginning of the spiritual journey for every one of us. Um, and a second is like unto it, thou anointest my head with oil. This wonderful symbol that, that I am precious, that I am special in God's eyes, and with that comes this responsibility to live out that calling. It's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. So in our final week in this series, I suppose that you could read the 23rd Psalm as like a drama in three acts. So the first act is very serene and pastoral. The psalmist feels safe, um, taken care of by God. His, um, his faithful shepherd, um, and, and thanks him for providing that security in his life. But in the second act, things get a little darker um, and stormy. He finds himself no longer in green pastures, no longer by still waters, but now he is in this dark valley. And yet it is only there that he realizes that he is never alone. He comes to see God not only as the source of the good things in his life, but also as the source of comfort and consolation in the hardest of times. He comes to understand that only because God was with him has he found his way through the darkness. And then he learns, as many of us who have gone through hard times have learned, that the sunshine that we step into when we have come out of that dark valley, can be even sweeter than the sunshine we knew in those carefree, cloudless days. And now, in Act 3, um, the psalmist realizes in all of this that we have been talking about, that his understanding of God has actually matured. So God is no longer just the one who gives him good things. 
and no longer the one who just follows him through his trials, but now God offers him something more permanent. Here is an invitation to dwell in God's house. So what could it possibly mean to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? That word house is such an evocative term, right? And surely means more than most people attached to it here. I mean, typically when we think of the house of the Lord, we think of the sanctuary. Or we think of the house, the meeting place of God. And it may be that King David did have some of that in mind. But, as some of the people here will tell you, when we begin talking in confirmation about what is the church, we begin by saying, yeah, the church is a building. If you just say somebody say to somebody in your family, I'm going to church, no one would have any question about where to find your car, right? And we all know that... Um, our sense of the building a few years ago in our visioning process, we got a sense that our building is actually important to us. Um, it makes a difference that we want to have a handicap accessible building. It makes a difference that we want our children to, to play in a space that is bright and colorful. It makes a difference that we want our kitchen to be a place that legally feeds not only us, but people in the community. Next week, we want God's house to be decorated for the holidays. Though, truth be told, we would really like somebody else to put the decorations away in January. Uh, but that is a whole other story. And yet, as we also say in confirmation, the church is not just a building, nor is it primarily a building. Now, I know this sounds counterproductive, uh, given the fact that we have just poured so much time and effort into renovating our digs here and that we have a long way to go in paying for it. But the reality is, without people using all of this new equipment and walking on these beautiful floors and opening these cabinets, without the people, all of that would be as cold as those bathrooms were before we renovated the stupid things. <laughs> we built it so that we could wear it out. Some of you have traveled in Europe, and you know that in virtually every city there are these glorious Gothic cathedrals, more than certainly my kids when we were on sabbatical uh, ever wanted to see. And you also know that those cathedrals are filled with tourists and not with people. So it would be more accurate to call them Christian museums than churches. I sometimes marvel, some of our sister churches here in Berkeley have neighbors who get really ticked off at the, all of the people that are coming in and out of the churches and the parking problems. And uh, I always smile and hopefully say only to myself, let me get this straight. You moved in next to a church. <laughs> church, which literally means the gathered people, and all you expected was the steeple, but not all the people. <laughs> so when the psalmist refers to the house, he is referring to the church family, the household. The sheep belongs not to a building, 
The sheep belongs to a flock. And I want to pause there for a moment because I think this is something that is really getting lost in our society today. You know, you hear so many people today talk about the difference between spirituality and religion. And I, I really think I get that. But I also, in so much of this talk about spirituality, hear a decidedly individualistic tone. It's all about me and my spiritual walk. And the communal aspect can really get lost. So let me just say out loud, there is something great about being able to say, this is my church. These are the people I make music with that restores people's soul on a week-to-week -week basis. This is the place where my kids and grandkids learn the faith. Sure, I can worship anywhere. I can worship in any sanctuary. And plenty of you have been very diligent about telling me that you can worship God on the top of a ski slope or a golf course. <laughs> but you know what? On Christmas Eve... This is where I want to be. These are the people I rejoice with when they rejoice. These are the people I weep with when they weep. They are not perfect. And I have known you long enough to say that. <laughs> but this is my outfit. This is my flock. So I brag about the church sometimes in only the most humble of Christian ways. <laughs> I like it when other people say nice things about my church. And I can get a little defensive when they don't. And yet in an e even deeper level, the house of the Lord is really not just about this community, but about this particular faith. So... Like most of you, I grew up in this house of God, this faith. So when I am up north watching a starlit sky, when I look out at an amazing sunset over Lake Michigan, in the fall when I watch the trees give off their last hurrah and go into hibernation, only to be resurrected in the spring, I have learned in this house of the Lord to sing, this is my father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. It is in this house that I have learned to sing that. That, however, does not mean that I need to say that there is nothing I can learn about God in any other household. John 10, 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and they too will heed my voice. It does mean, however, that this is the primary lens through which I have come to understand who God is and what life is about and what is fair and what is just, and what my role in that is. And part of my role, as I understand it, is to make sure that that vision of life continues to be preached and taught. And as many of you have heard me say, the gospel is always one generation away from extinction. And it doesn't just happen.
And yet there is also one more beautiful sense in which I think the psalmist refers to the house of the Lord. It is captured best in some other versions of the Bible that translate this verse as, I will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. In other words, because of the shepherd, I shall not want. He is the one who leadeth me. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because he accompanies me. What makes us a church and not just another social group or not just another service organization is the shepherd. The shepherd calls us together. The shepherd leads us. And the shepherd often sends us out, as Jesus said, like sheep among wolves. When all is said and done, you might sum up the whole Christian journey in one sentence. Live ever aware of God's presence in and among you. So I thought about this the week and it, it occurred to me first, those are incredibly comforting words. And then it occurred to me, those words could also make you uncomfortable. So there's an old Hasidic tale about a rabbi who uh, hired a coach and buggy to go to the neighboring village. And the carriage was making its way along a road with fruit trees and orchards on either side. At one point, the coachman stopped by the side of the road and said to his passenger, I'm going to uh, climb over the fence and steal some of that fruit. You sit here and keep an eye out for anyone. Let me know if anyone sees me. He had just crossed the fence when the rabbi called out, someone's watching. The driver jumped back in his wagon, drove a bit further, and then stopped. I'm going to try again, he said. Make sure I am not being seen. Once again, uh, as soon as he crossed the fence, the rabbi called out, someone's watching. The driver was puzzled. He said, I don't understand. The road is empty. I don't see another human being for miles. But every time I grab some fruit, you tell me somebody's watching. What's going on? And the rabbi pointed heavenward and said, someone is watching. For the author of the 23rd Psalm, dwelling in God's house having the sense that every moment of his day is being lived under God's watchful eye is the most reassuring, the most comforting thought that he can have. For the rabbi's coachman, it is a major inconvenience, keeping him from doing all the things that he would like to do. The difference has to do with where you find yourself in your life which is also true today as we make our commitments. Do I think of this as how much of what is mine do I need to, do I have to give up? Or do I think of it in terms of how much of it is God's that I really need to keep for myself? There is a difference. For a young child, there are few things more important and reassuring in life than the knowledge that his parent is there watching out for him. 
and few things more unsettling than the fear that the parent might not be. I think this is why kids love to play peekaboo. The message, mommy or daddy may go away out of sight, but in just a moment, they return. I think this is also, I want to tell this to Bill Courage, who works with kids on playgrounds. I think this is why in a school playground, some co- sometimes kids do things um, that are um, pushing the envelope a little, um, maybe even a little bit dangerous. Um, it's not just about getting away with it, but an effort to elicit the reassuring cry, stop that, I'm watching you. And it may be that even as adults, we never outgrow that childhood need. And yet, as many of you know, uh, a few years later, that child becomes an adolescent. And often, mama, come see what I can do, is replaced by stay out of my room and don't tell me how to run my life. What happened to my little baby, we wonder? Well, she's not your little baby anymore. And she realizes that and realizes that others are now looking at her and expecting her to make some ethical decisions, not to mention what to wear or who to associate with or whether to go to church or not. And all of that is new. Um, And because they can't be sure that they are doing it right, as you know, adolescents can be a little uncomfortable or hypersensitive about being judged. It is all part of the process. It's about growing up and taking your role as an adult in the world. Ultimately, hopefully, we come to realize that God invites us into his house, into his presence, not only to protect us, not even to judge us, but to establish a relationship with us, a partnership. If you are going to live in my house, God says, there are some things that I expect of you. No longer do I call you servants. I have called you friends. I will be there for you, God says, but I also need you to be there for me. In the book of Joshua, the Hebrews have found their way into the promised land. And uh, their new leader, Joshua, calls the people together. This is a new generation. The fathers and mothers have sort of passed the baton to a new generation. And Joshua calls them together at Shechem. And he says to them, Now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him faithfully and in sincerity. And then he looks them right in the eye as I am doing with you, and he says to them, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord is not just a promise. It is also a commitment. It is, to be sure, A promise. And when we have a funeral or a memorial, we lift up that boldly and confidently. In my father's house, there are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Some of the most wonderful words ever spoken. But it is also true that in the church today, there is so much emphasis on who gets to go to heaven and on what terms. What do I have to do to be saved? Am I going to be left behind? What about my uncle so-and-so? And we may miss the fact that Jesus spent most of his time talking about not who has the right credentials to get into the pearly gates, but how we are to treat each other in this life. Who is my neighbor? And how do I love that neighbor? What does justice look like in terms of a fair wage? Or how I treat the immigrant at my doorstep or the refugee without a homeland? Reinhold Niebuhr put it this way. He said, if I am going to be with God forever, that means I am living with God here and now. So the psalmist who began his um, journey did so with a proud and joyous statement. The Lord is my shepherd. And now concludes with an equally buoyant affirmation. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The world may be a frightening place, God says. And I will not protect you from all harm or even from all of your own mistakes. I will, however, ease your pain by sharing it. The world is an exhausting place. It asks so much of you. I will not make it easy for you, nor take away all of your stress. I will, however, provide you with more power and strength than you know you have and you will mount up with wings like eagles. Some days you will walk and be surprised that you do not faint. The world will often seem out of control and certainly beyond yours. It will never be beyond mine. When illness or grief or all the other losses that come with age cast a veil over your life, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. Fear not. I am with you. Mi casa es su casa. <laughs> My house is your house. Amen. <laughs>